0: Hi, it's Sunday afternoon, and I'm going to try to do this early in the week. This is a uh, funny situation over here. I was asked to do the Ramchal, which I would never do because that's too gigantic of a subject. But uh, the person who was asking, family was asking, was Stefanski's, who are uh, proving themselves to be best friends of this podcast. And um, therefore, I'm always trying to um, accommodate uh, my supporters. And uh, the reason. One, one of the reasons is that, uh, as it happens, they run a, uh, there's going to be a big auction, let's put it this way, and uh, it's very interesting, actually, uh, when they send me a catalog of Sfarim, or better yet, Ksav Yads, uh, there's a, uh, they have an auction house called Genazim, It's just interesting, Genazim, which is uh, spelled G-E-N-A-Z-Y-M, you go, in the, go online, you'll see it yourself. And, uh, obviously, they're into rare Judea cup. But not, and I'm not talking about uh, Kiddush cups and things like that. They got that, too. But rather, uh, mostly xaviyads and things like this of extraordinary nature. That is for high rollers. And uh, one of the big items in the... And everybody should go in, If you're at all interested in farm or anything like that, and especially um, rare, I guess you'd say, artifacts, uh, you know, handwriting from the uh, original... Uh, autographs from the Rizal and from the 1500s, 1600s, and Rabbi Beger and the Nota Behuna, over, and you name it, uh, then you'll be, just be interested to see it. I don't know if you can play over here because a lot of these things are very expensive. That's an understatement. But still, maybe you are. And uh, one of the items, maybe the most expensive item here that's being auctioned off, I'm looking through, is a... Uh, a letter by the Ramchal himself, the original letter to his Rebbe on Kabbalah matters, to Roshayi Bassani, who I'll talk about in a second, and uh, it's an original. So, oh my Lord, you know, I mean, I'd be scared to have this in my house. It's so, pre- it's so uh, uh, what's the right word, fragile, and precious and expensive. But I do, I'm very happy to uh, tell everybody about this, that in, um, in a week from now, December 8th, if you're interested at all, uh, you'll go into Genazim online, G-E-N-A-Z-Y-M, and you'll see all these extraordinary uh, items. They're up for sale for auction. Uh, you know, manuscript of the, I think the original handwritten uh, copy of Dor Samach from, from Dor Sameach. Uh If you're Hasidic, you might. Want to, I'm serious. I'm not kidding. You know, I'm just flipping through here. Do you want to own the kiddish cup of the Baba Rebbe? I'm. Ser- I kid you not. Uh, I'm talking about the Rashad from 100 years ago. Uh, it's quite remarkable things they have there. So as I said before, uh, one of the high items starts at over 150 grand uh, is this letter from the Ramchal. As I say, that's playing in elite. league. That's beyond me. But I guess it was in this spirit he asked me to speak about the Ramchal and I'm uh, happy to do so, but I'm not. Meaning, ordinarily, I wouldn't undertake to do the in a podcast format, to do a bio of somebody like, uh, for the simple reason, it's too big. You know what i is a whole department by itself. And even though once in a while I use that language, but with him, I'm serious. And so I could sit here for four hours, I still wouldn't be done. And I ain't doing no poor podcast for four hours, it's not the nature of the medium. And so, this, uh, disturbed my thoughts on Shabbos yesterday. Uh, because he spoke to me about this before Shabbos, I think. How could I possibly do the Ramchal, you know, in a podcast format? And what I the conclusion I came to was, I'll do Ramchal part one. That no, it's a chelik; look not possible to do. You know, it, it, basically, this is the type of thing in Baltimore that I would do uh, if the circumstances were right, as a summer lecture series. You know, you'd, you'd have like a, a week long, four or five. Maybe six uh, uh, talks on, um, you know, in public lectures on the Ramchal. And uh, there's plenty of material. So instead, as I said before, I want to talk about Achelik. And that's also good. And that's actually what everyone's appetite uh, for, the, uh, for, the, for this uh, um, auction or whatever. Which is going to be on December 8th. I'll say it again. I repeat, the name is Genazim. G-N-A-C-Y-M and uh, anything connected with farm and particularly as I said before connected with uh, my best friends and sponsors uh, I'm always happy to uh, engage people in. If you're into history one of the things you want to be know about is uh, Old farm and Saviads uh, and things like that but that's actually at a fairly specialty level so I'm not sure it applies to everybody. Alright, having said that let me plunge into the Body, my remarks in the time that I have because uh, I don't want to take uh, hours and hours on this even though it's the easiest thing in the world <coughs> to do so. We're dealing with a giant here, Moshe Chaim the Ramchal but a very strange and weird situation because so the Ramchal um, believe me, I get it the Ramchal today, and this is very well known, occupies a funny situation in Jewish history he's claimed by many different groups, the non from the from the muserniks the Kabul, the kabbalists you know the yeshiva people in a certain way uh mainly because since the vilna Gon is supposed to have said that he held a, the belt from the, the i've never actually found the source of that i found secondary sources of that. i mean i'm not saying it's not true but we all know it's like a famous Shmua that the Groa said that the Ramchal you know hit a home run with the missile so once you have like that in the literature world, if the grow at it, then people are going to go all the Kabbalah books. I have many friends in Baltimore elsewhere, to the degree they're interested in uh, Kabbalah or something like that. Uh, they go through the uh, Kisri Ramchal, especially since the Friedlander editions came out, the green books as they call them, in my lifetime, and uh, people are doing more of it now. I have a very good friend in Baltimore. Rabbi Rabbi Tzvi he, like, eats and breathes this stuff, and he's published, I think, several works. He might still be in the process of doing some English translations. I know of the, the Der HaShem, and uh, I think now the Maim gul if I remember correctly, and things of that nature. And uh, I'm happy to give him <laughs> the shout-out. And, uh, you know, so, in, in, in other words, with great dicta, great care, to get everything exactly right, and then there, and, and that's not even the heavy duty stuff, the Kabbalah books. You know what I mean? The the Klach Who knows what? Many other things. So the Ramchal has this uh, funny uh, uh, kind of legacy, which he's claimed by different uh, groups. I can tell you right now, the Zionists consider him the father of, of cultural Zionism of modern Hebrew literature, with reason. Now he had nothing to do with Zionism and Haskalah in the non-from sense, but he sure as heck has a lot to do with Haskalah in the from sense. Uh, and maybe that's the part I want to uh, concentrate today deal with the light stuff rather than the heavy stuff and I do not want to get involved in the famous um, controversy in which he was involved because I'm just not in the mood to get into and Hara and things like that today so instead, let's talk about this remarkable person who was a genius Ramchal is, is lived in the 1700s it's very famous he died young at the age of 40 so he went from 1707 to 1747 uh, he's from Padua I've spoken about Padua many times in the past because it was an important Jewish community. Padua had the most important yeshiva in Italy uh, in the 1400s and the 1500s and part of the 1600s. By the 1700s, the feeling I get is that the yeshiva had seen better days and that the really hot yeshivas were elsewhere. Okay? Although, as is often the case, the Padua yeshiva was gone it's fine too. And our hero uh, was born and raised in this community Padua is not that far away from Venice. It was part of the Republic of Venice. I've spoken many, many times. So the Ramchal is a Venetian Jew, a, Ven- a Venice Jew, a Venetian Jew. That's a particular type of Italian Jew. It's not regular. Venice is its own Parsha. I repeat, the Republic of Venice, not only the city of Venice. I'm talking about the area that was ruled by Venice. And Padua was the m- most important of the non-Venice cities of the Republic of Venice. And Pado has had a Jewish community since, the oh, way back around the 1300s, and the Ven- Venetians conquered the city, I think, in the 1300s or 1400s, and um, as a Dover you do if you're Jewish and you lived in Venice, so uh, the the conditions were um, harsh in the sense that it's very Catholic. I've been in Padua. It's a beautiful city, super full of idols and things like that. This is a tremendously Catholic town. It's important to realize this when the Jews are living there. You can go and I went with my uh, tour group to, um, I saw the house of the Ramchal. Now, I, we don't know which apartment it is, but it's a gigantic apartment building with hundreds of apartments in it, very much European style, and um, one of them was his. I mean, the buildings, I'm sure, been, you know, touched up, she would seem, since the 18th century, but it's the same building. And uh, it's a very pretty city. And now, here's my point. Uh, Padua uh, had the following advantage. It had a good yeshiva and an excellent university. Maybe even an excellent yeshiva, I don't know. But it's, and, and all within a block or two of each other. Okay? All in block or two of each other. And therefore, Padua is famous for having all types of Jews from right to left. And in the middle, you also had what I would call, even though it's anachronistic, Torah, Mada, Terms, their that kind of thing. Okay? Now, our hero, who was born in 1707, in my, and I repeat every time, you know, even 10,000 times, I'm just giving you my take. You don't have to go with what I say. I'm just sharing you the way I understand it, okay? You don't have to agree. Uh, our hero, born in 1707, took from family, you know. Parents had enough money, and they saw from a young age, he's a genius. You get it? You know, some kid's like a, like a Mozart type. Now, I don't mean he knew shots when he was one year old, but he was uh, extremely uh, smart. That's clear. Now, as a result, they took the trouble to give him a good education, However, in this particular case, and it fits very much with Padua, and listen closely I'm about to tell you, they got him a, a tutor to teach Lemurichol. So he did not go to elementary school, as we would call it today. He didn't go to public school, and he didn't uh, you know take an online course or anything like that. He had a one-to-one tutor. That's the old-fashioned higher-class way of doing it. Now, these are for Lemurichol subjects. But the tutor that they hired was not a guy. The Tudor was a famous rabbi who obviously needed the money and uh, lived in Padua. And uh, anyway, every tutor or rabbi wants a genius student. Agreed? Yeah, if the student has an unbelievable tefisa, a genius student, you want. The rabbi was a uh, Yitzchakim Kantarini, Kam they call him, who was a famous rabbi in his day. So uh, Yitzchakim Kantarini was uh, himself uh, from Padua. He had Samicha from Padua. He had a Ph.D. and an M.D. from the University of Padua. See where I'm going? Okay. He was a famous doctor. He had a lot of rich guy as his clients. So here's somebody who had Torah um, uh, Umada. Can I use that term? Term Umada. whatever you want to say. Italian style. This is the Italian Haskalah. Which has nothing to do with the Haskalah that you imagine. Uh, because this is totally from. <laughs> okay. When I use the word Haskalah, I mean it's not just Gamar, Gamar, Gamar. Uh, this Rebbe Cantarini... Kantarit is nothing but a cantor, like it's Min that's how they call it in Hebrew. Anyway, um, this is somebody who had a medical practice, who was a post-sacrion, who was a famous darshan. Listen closely. He, uh, uh, in Italy, you have rabbis that give speeches every Shabbat sometimes, like you have in America. And it's famous that Goyim used to come and attend his speeches. Words, he was a good speaker, but it also means that he spoke in Italian. Because he couldn't speak in Hebrew or Italian, Yiddish, because the Christians wouldn't understand it. You get it? And so here you have already an unusual type guide and an unusual type guide to be associated with uh, hmm, uh, Yiddish guide. and very that's definitely not your typical uh, elementary school teacher, junior high school teacher, high school teacher. Somebody just described. There's somebody who's a Bucky in Italian, in Latin in poetry. Yitzhak Hayim Kantarin is very much into Kadesh, uh, 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 uh that's not the right word, dik uh how shall I put it, rhetoric, uh, fancy writing, literature, that's the best way of describing it, literature, Jewish literature, Italian literature, and the best Haskalah Italian sense, to make the following claim, you Ga'im, you don't have the best literature, we Jews do, right? I, the Guyim have, you know, poetry, European style, rhetorical, you know, uh, affectatious. We have it in the Tanakh too. If you know how to read the Tanakh, we have this stuff, and we had it before you had it. It's that kind of approach. So if he was taking courses with somebody in order to take the cleb tests, uh, he had an excellent liberal arts education, I repeat, an excellent liberal arts education, math, science, literature, uh, as we'd say to the English, he had, a, I believe if I remember correctly, he had Italian, uh, French, Latin, and Greek, I believe. Uh, was a tutor. So, and but the tutor is a <laughs> That's what I try to say, you know, you don't usually find a guy. I'm. This is what I'm trying to share with the history side. You don't usually find a guy who the English teacher is like a, a dying. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, the English teacher that's too, You never heard of him because. As it happened, uh, he never published Shalas and Shuvas. He died. Uh, there are many of them in the Pachet Yitzhak, Lampranti, you know, the Encyclopedia Talmud did it from that time, and in the uh, the one I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, uh, more porgob the Shemas Suraka. You can see, you know, Shalas and Shuvas back and forth in there. Uh, and I, if I remember correctly, I believe his stuff has still not been published. It's like waiting for some scholar or Machon Yisraelim to do that. But it was a serious Talmud Chacham, not just a you know. I won't say the English was the and the Torah was the knot. It's not true. <coughs> you see? So this is a most unusual person. Uh, uh, I know his style of writing is very prolix, very long-winded. And the Ramchal is not like that at all. But uh, nevertheless, he, he loved to write all kinds of poems and witty things and things of this nature. And, by the way, he also tried to write a parallel version of the Tehillim. That was that stick at that time. Later on, the Ramchal did it, people got angry at him. That's all he's doing is isn't what the Rebbe did. <laughs> okay? Uh, and they did it because to them, and listen closely, the Torah has a million ways of being read. Actually, infinite ways of being read. One of the ways, not the only way, one of the ways they can read it is for literature. One, that doesn't take away from the Kedusha. One of the ways you can read it for, is for um, what do you call it, rhetoric. You know, style, polished style. doesn't take away from the Kedusha. The same person who says, I'm interested in a Torah from a literary perspective, but could also be somebody who says, and I'm also interested from a halachic perspective, and that's know shas, Or I'm also interested from a kabbalistic perspective, or I'm also interested from a ruchniyistic perspective. That's is, this is the essence of the Italian Haskalah. You understand? You see the Torah in many ways. And it's important to realize that. So here's our hero, growing up in the Padua. Um, the Jewish community is a block away block and a half away from the university, I was there. Uh, You know, it had a wall around it, but it was a block away from the university. So Padua is just an interesting community. Uh, Let me see how many people are there. I'm looking around here. I think that Padua had less than a thousand. Listen very closely. I think Padua had about a thousand Jews, maybe a little bit less. You know what I'm saying? It's like Gibraltar. What's that? Uh, 300 families, 400 families total. That's just interesting. Now, wait a minute. So if you grow up like the Ramchal, you're growing up in a community where everybody more or less knows each other, like I say, seven, eight hundred people, Be'erech, something like that. Very small. However, what makes it fascinating is, there's also yeshiva. So figure, a hundred yeshiva guys. But in a community of seven, eight hundred people, a hundred yeshiva guys is like a lot. Yes, they're all over the place. And then, in addition to what I just said, figure another hundred, fifty or 50 guys, something like that, 50 uh, college students, because the University of Padua was for a long time the only university that would let Jews in, and so Jews came from all over Europe, I've mentioned this many times before, um, to attend the university and get an MD degree, because after all, what are you going to do with a PhD, you know, you had to get a PhD first and then MD, but you know, with a medical degree you can get a job. With a Doctrine and philosophy. Not much you can do with it in terms of making a Pernosa. So isn't it, it's not like growing up in Lakewood or Bar Park or Muncie or Baltimore. where was a much larger number of people. It's a very intense kind of situation, and um, I won't say the guys were friendly to them. Uh, Padua is um, a Catholic city, it's an Italian city, but uh, I've made this point many times. It's a part of the Republic of Venice, and the Jews wanted to live under the Republic of Venice when possible, because even though there were a lot of gazeris against the Jews and all kinds of, there was ghettos and economic restrictions, things like that, but at the end of the day, there's law and order. If you're willing to um, follow all the discrimination laws against the Jews, well, the government will protect you against the violence. And in fact, this Rebbe of his, Cantarini. They call me Yech Kam. He has a famous thing you can get online, where he wrote, like you know, a Purim of of Rome, a Purim of Baghdad, a Purim of Berlin, and you know, each each community was freed in its own time, had some uh, uh, miraculous deliverance. There was one in Padua, not long before the Ramchal was born, about twenty years less before the Ramchal was born, in uh, sixteen eighty eight, when uh, the Goyim uh, rioted against the Jews and wanted to attack the Jewish quarter, the ghetto because they thought the Jews are helping the Turks in the war against the Austrians. Isn't that crazy? This is Italy. What's it got to do with that? But since they heard the Jews elsewhere are helping the Muslims against the Christians, they figured, heck with it, let's go kill the Jews. But because it was Venice, the, uh, the government brought in soldiers, and it said nobody does anything, and the Venetian government you know made sure that there was no uh, 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 riots, no pogroms. So this is the community in which our hero grew up. So you have, that's, that's his first rebbe, okay? Uh, teacher, maybe that's a better word, his teacher. The second one was when he turned, I don't know, 12, 10, something like that. Uh, remember, he was a He was a, a, a prodigy. So uh, he found someone who came to teach in the yeshiva for a couple of years, and that was Rabbi Shai Basani, uh, who's an even more famous Italian rabbi. And Shabbat Sanatim is the Rebbe with whom he clicked. Now he clicked with both of them, but I'm just saying you know what I'm talking about. You can go through years and years of yeshiva or high school or things like that. and go for one year and another year, but there's nobody you really establish a kesher with. okay? Unless you're lucky and you do. But millions of people go through the system and they never really establish a genuine relationship with anybody. Which is why I see so many frustrated people <laughs> having gone through the yeshiva system. I get it. Uh, lucky people are the ones who do actually develop a real uh, kesher, which is a lifelong business. I'm talking about a real, general, genuine kesher, not just the year you're there, that's good too. But I'm talking about you know, real Rebbe Tom relationship in the, in the highest sense of the term, in terms of human beings. And there's no question that our hero did that. Uh, and that was a Rishai Basani who taught him from on and know, in his teen years. Uh, until like the I I think something like ten to fifteen or something like that, which case he left. There was a Bushai Bissani. It was it was a big lam, did a big Mafalpel, Uh and therefore he's not learning with him, as far as I understand, limuri chol, but limuri Kodish. Uh, and specifically two things: is is Shas and Poskin, and Kabbalah. Isn't that unusual? Now Shas and Poskin, Mishai Bissani is supposed to have been like a hot stuff in terms of learning. That's what he was. Uh, and uh, he learned by other gedolim, and so on and so forth. And um, he was a son-in-law. Now, you're going to have to hold a couple of this. He was the son-in-law of a famous rabbi elsewhere, Yom Akon, who was a Talmud of Ramoshah Zekudo, And Ramoshah Zekudo, early on in the 1600s, had learned Kabbalah from the son of somebody who had been a Talmud of the students of the Arizal. <laughs> okay? I know it sounds like Chagad Yaw, but my point is the following. You know, you if from a firm perspective, you only learn Kabbalah if you learn Ishmael Pish or Rebbe p Rebbe. That's what you're supposed to do it. I don't say that's what everybody does, but formally, that's what you're supposed to do. You to learn Kabbalah from somebody, you learn from somebody, you learn from somebody, hopefully you go back to Moshe Rabbeinu. Or at least in this case, to Arizal. Now, the Arizal, the 1570s, our hero was born... 140 years later, approximately, after the Rizal's death. Uh, he was born 90 years, approximately, after the death of the Chaim And so that gives you a little bit of a timeline. And the Rebbe with whom he clicked and learned intensely for a couple of years, and I'm sure they went through shas and that kind of stuff. I'm sure. Because he was a genius. And, you know, you can do it. So, you know, to daven up, you learn the Morashitosis, you've shown him whatever it is. Uh, but the Ramchal is not, the person I'm describing is not yeshivish, get it? And one of the problems the yeshiv world will always have is that the Ramchal doesn't fit into the slot. Get it? Everybody's trying to fit him into a certain uh, uh, peg. You know, the Maskilim, the non-Frum will try to you see this all the time in academic writings. The Maskilim will always say like this Oh, he was a great poet. It's a pity he got involved in all that frummy stuff about the uh, Kabbalah. The Kab- Kabbalists will say, oh, he was a great Makobel. I don't know why he wasted his time with the poems. You understand? The other ones will say, "Oh, I'm sure he must have had a secret, uh, mystical reasons behind the poems, or something like that." Another one will say, "You know, really, he it was yeshivish. it's just he didn't, uh, you know, show it, and so forth." But if you know anything about the writing of the Ramkal, what's that? His Derek one of those uh, types of programmatic essays in which he said, "The is, you learn through shas; you uh, master the basic sugyas; you know how to pask and shas from the gemara other it's not just from the shulchan but from the Gemara, you learn bit Shmeitzalibah Hilkasa, and then you move on to the big stuff, <laughs> which is the Zohar and Kabbalah and all the rest of it. That is not yeshivish. okay? That is not Yeshivish. It's very Kabbalistic. It's not yeshivish. So uh, he was learning, therefore, with a the Rabbi one on one in this Yeshiva. Or I don't know what exactly the framework was, but it's not Yeshivas. You and I understand it, and uh, there's no question that he covered. I'm sure, even though he was very young, remember, he was a prodigy. I'm sure he went through Shas, if not everything, most of it, through Shulchan Aruch Rambam and that kind of business. You know, he yeah, had the photographic memory and all this stuff. Uh, but also, the Kisvi Arisa. Now you have to understand, Re died, as they say, 140 years earlier. Uh, it's a very complicated story because it used to be until recently, I thought, that the wrote absolutely nothing and Chaim Vital wrote everything. And um, and then you have the, some Chaim Vittal floating around in the uncoordinated manner. But it turns out that re did write things, but it was back in Sfas in Israel, but it could be that Moshe Zakudo, who's Rebbe of his Rebbe's Rebbe, you know, got the stuff from Israel because he learned with a guy who had been coming from Israel to Italy. You see, it gets in these uh, complex uh, uh, tracing down to the exact narrative. All I'm trying to get across is, here you have a very unusual boy with a very unusual education. <laughs> okay? Very unusual education. It's, a, it's literally a Torah and Derrick education, uh, but beyond the Hasagas of St. Serena Hirsch or anybody else. right? Because you're talking about, yes, you have to eliminate whole stuff, the part you know, but it's taught by very from people, and it's totally within, I would say, within the Torah perspective. Uh, seriously, that's you know, not a cliche. And at the same time, between the two Rabbein, uh, clearly he went through halacha, he went through shas, and all the rest of it. But, Really attract him more than anything else is the Kabbalah. And once the Rebbes uh, moved away, now let's see, he was born in 1707. Cantarini died in 1723 when he was, uh, I guess, 20, I mean, he was 16 years old. Okay. Uh, Shai Bassani moved away a year later when he was 15 years old, whatever it was. The point is, well, by the time he's 15, I think it was, I believe, by the time he's 15, he has no more Rebbies. The two he clicked with were gone. One died, and one moved away because he had to move to another community in Italy to take over his father-in-law stellar. He helped the father-in-law, and then when the father law died, he took over stellar. So, Amelia, Emilia, you know, what is it called? Reggio Emilia. Don't doesn't mean anything to you. There's a place in northern Italy. So, uh, after that time, our hero uh, is like on his own. And what he does is, and this is the part people are familiar with, it starts to get controversial, right? Uh, but what he, what he ended up doing was, uh, hold him for a second, and so what he did was, he didn't, you know, advance and he stayed in the yeshiva and find another Rebbe or something like that. Uh, instead, what he did was, he found from fellow students and young guys, in the community, who are, who are learning there, or living there, or whatever, um, a group called Mavak she Hashem, that title tells you by itself, they used to be Hasidim in the sense of seeking the Lord, Mavak she Hashem, as Panech Hashem Mavakesh. So they're looking for more than just um, Alumdus and uh, Gemara. You understand? The title itself, Mavak she Hashem. Uh, uh, one word I always remember, because I heard a rabbi in Florida once say it somewhere and it stuck in my mind, from Moshe David Wali, who was one of these uh, guys who became close with the Ramchal, maybe his number two lieutenant, was uh, I remember I heard from the Young Israel in uh, Florida somewhere, in Aventura, where he said, uh, "This is from the one of the members of this group." Uh, so uh, the plain way of reading is a, a day's coming when to will be a, a hunger and a thirst. Uh, not for bread and water, but kim l'shmo Hashem. And Moshe uh, Wali said so like this, lechem means Torah, and mayim also means, you know, Torah, lambdas. And so basically, he named Esi Rav Baris, lo rov lechem not for lambdas and gemara, kim l'shmo for Kabbalah. <laughs> yes, and that's who these guys are and uh, they undertook to have uh, cl- uh, uh, learning sessions in Zohar okay uh, now the, I read one place, I don't know, you never know whether these things are true or not that by the age of 15 he already knew all the Kisfer Rizal, it's very possible he was a genius uh, but he's a most unusual genius at that time Kisfer Rizal simply means the stuff that was floating around that uh, was not in a book form it wasn't published until later in the century. And uh, these are supposed to be things that are taken up from Khan or others, having to do with the doctrines of the Ari. Uh, there's no one format to them, so you don't know which one's the right one, unless you, unless you do. And uh, clearly, if this is who I described, he learned by who learned by Hisra, but learned by Hisra, but all the rest of this is one form of the Kisari, and uh, he understands it. And so basically, even though he's young, he's like 15 years old, and he joined this Chaburah. He immediately becomes like the Rosh Chaburah just by meritocracy. You understand? Know and uh, they set up this system um, to learn Zohar 24 7. Remember in Velashn? I'm sure you've heard this. In Velashn, they had a system where somebody's learning all night. So it should never be that for a second there's no Lima right? I think you've all heard of that. These are the guys who learn when, when um, what do you call it? Neil is over, you know, everybody else is rushing after Yom Kippur. To, to get the food, but a couple of real firmies will stay behind and keep learning because you don't want the whole world to stop learning. Well, that's for Nigla. Now, this transfer to nister, right? Somebody's got to be learning Kabbalah, uh, uh, Zohar, and so they had this whole system worked out and they had, it's like a club, very much like a Moshe You have to learn totally Lishma, and you can't have any uh, uh, bad thoughts and it has to be super for the purpose of bringing the Shechina and the Mashiach and all the rest of it. Very high-minded. My goodness, very high-minded, and this is not what the typical guy does when he's 15 years old or 16 years old. Okay, and so we have to understand that here we are in Padua, in the year if he's born 1707, so early 1720s. The community, as I said before, is about 800 guys, altogether, men, women, and children, approximately. Plus the yeshiva guys, plus the college students. The Jewish college students live in the in the ghetto, which is a block away from the uh, university. Like I said, I was there. In the ghetto, they had uh, what we would call today a Jewish dorm, run by a family Caniliano, where they there you have a kosher food. You can't go in the regular dorms. Regular dorms are gaish, and they wouldn't allow Jews in. And uh, anyway, it's a totally Catholic environment. What do you want that stuff for? Uh, but a block away, you can have what we would call today uh hill house. Is not doing the right term. Hill house, not from a Chabad house. Let's call it like that. It's not exactly, but you get the idea. What I mean, right? You know, be kosher food have a minion, uh, you have uh, a learning sessions of one form or another. It's a, it's a friendly territory. It's a friendly territory. Okay? Now, uh, and then you have Moshe Chaim who in one of these buildings, maybe in his apartment, I don't know. It's very possible. Or somebody's apartment. Uh He's with 10, 12, 15 guys, I don't know how many. Something like that. And uh, these are guys who would represent... The extreme right wing of the Hasidus. I'm obviously I'm not talking about Ashkenazim Hasidism. I'm talking about people who are very high-minded. So you have in the Jewish community this we know a lot of bums, okay, and a lot of playboys and things like this. You did. It's an Italian Jewish community of all types. So you have the left wing. You also had the right wing. The right wing would consist of learners, talmidei chacham, and things like that. And you have the Hasidim, which are people who are going to lift them as sure as din. Uh, but in a very high-minded fashion. I don't have to tell you, you know already, I sh- I'm sure, that in Mesil Sisharm, he he devotes a great deal of attention to uh, the right kind of Hasidus. One of the most important parts of the book is what is the real Hasidus and the real preachers, as opposed to the Golmei Hasidus, the phony forms of of, ch- of Hasidus. So he was like this, and this went on for a number of years. Okay? Now, uh, this eventually led to certain events that I, that I will not go into today. But rather, I, I want to um, discuss uh, his writings in this period, which are remarkable, because it's not necessarily what you would think. Uh, I don't think most people are familiar with this. Ramchal, as I say before, had two rabbis, A and B, and both were big timidah but one taught him English and plus Hebrew, or Chol plus Kosh. And the other one, as far as I can see, just on Kosh. I think that's how it went. And including Cabal. The first guy, uh, uh, Cantarini, introduced him to all the Italian uh, literature, which he himself I remember he was a college grad. He had a PhD in an MD, Cantorini. Um, and he himself was very much into Italian literature and that kind of stuff, which, is, which we're talking about the late 1600s, early 1700s. It's Baroque. You understand? The Renaissance is over to what we call Baroque. It has a certain style to it. I don't want really to go too much on a on that. Uh, but, you know, he's really saturated it. It's a Catholic environment. And he wants to do it a Jewish way. Well, uh, I don't know exactly why, but our hero, while he is engaged in this special club of learning Zohar all day long and uh, doing th- things even heavier than that, uh, and by the way, he little by little, um, how should I put it, uh his, his the reputation gets out there uh, that he really knows what he's talking about the whole world is looking for somebody who actually knows what he's talking about Kabul, instead of people who say they do so uh let me let me say that uh the island wants to be in it, on it and he started to give uh classes uh I guess we call popular couple is that possible uh and and people came so in other words Instead of being just a small group, I think like a a little bit here and a little bit there, you give what we would generally call a public lecture on these sorts of things. Uh, In general, if you know his writings, he says it's good to get this stuff out there. That'll be Maccabre de gula, The old-fashioned way is to keep this all away from the public. And so all I can say is he's doing remarkable things. While he's doing this, he's writing these funny things he wouldn't have expected. Uh, When he's 17 years old, very much in the spirit of Cantarini, he writes this uh, Lashon Lemudim, if you've ever seen it, which is a book on exercise of rhetoric. You understand? Now, you don't even know what rhetoric is, <laughs> most of you, right? Rhetoric goes back to, it's a style of speaking of, of and writing, which is, uh, as to use, to use the American equivalent, even though this is not a fair example, it's called English Comp. Right? It's not a good example, English Comp. No, it's to write well, okay? To write well. Uh, this is something that was discussed by the Greeks and the Romans, you come to mind Demosthenes and Cicero and people like that, Tertullian and uh, uh, Cantarini and other rabbis uh, were always, you know, trying to say the following. You, climbed in, event as we Jews had it before you did. And you can find it in the Tanakh and places like that. And uh, he writes this book called Lashon Lim- Limunim, which is like a manual of how to do rhetoric. Uh, what a strange thing for him, a couple to write, okay? and you know it's the kind of thing where uh uh you ha- how to arrange your words in a pleasant manner and what's the essence of pleasantness namely novelty and deviation from the ordinary and commonplace and uh, novelty is attained by various forms of beautiful expressions uh, selection of the subject arrangements of the parts of composition construction of the sentences and figures of speech notice is highly structured this is characteristic of all his writings I tell you the truth, I find them boring. Uh, I'm into and I've gone through it 60 or 70 times. But that doesn't mean I'm into every safer from the Ramchal, not, not at all. And Michelle Moon, I read it, I forced myself to read it once, but it was, it's very structuralized. Uh, but he's interested in this. And then he says, Let's see, are there any Jewish examples of proper form of rhetoric? Well, um, no, I'll, I'll make one myself. And he writes a play. For, uh, called Maisei Shemshon. It, it's around. Uh, my Shemshon is his play on the story of Shemshon and Delilah. You know, Samson, in the Book of Shemshon, the biblical Shobi of Yishimshon. And it's extraordinary, because uh, here you have, if you want to look at it, uh, I'll, I'll use the yeshiva language, here you have the story of Shemshon with the parish of Ramchal, right? But it's funny, because it's not at all what you would imagine, you understand? It's written in the form it's, compo- it's around in Hebrew. Uh, it's it's composed in the form of um, of an Italian play, I guess. Right? And it's just extraordinary the type of figures that you find in there. Here, okay, let me get my things out. This all was not published well until the 1930s, I believe. There's a guy, Ginsburg, Ginsberg, who was like a modern guy, and he was into this side of Ramkhal, and he, he, he published this all in Tel Aviv. And, uh... You know, it has stage directions and things. I'll tell you again, this is the, the story of Shimshin. But the most remarkable part is when he has the dramatis personae, <coughs> excuse me, which is the cast of characters who will appear in the play. And of course, you've got, and this is very characteristic of him, of Ramchal. He has human characters in the play, and sometimes he has hypostasis. You know, he'll have a midah that'll appear in a human form as representing that midah. So, for example, in the play of Shimshon, I'm just looking at the front page. You got Shimshon, you got Avi Shimshon, the father of Shimshon, of course, in the play. The Timnus, that's the first Geisha woman he was involved with. You got the Plishtin, you got the Chaisen Shemshin, his father-in-law, the, 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 the father of the Timna woman, and a couple of people like that, right? But you also have Cheshik, right? Cheshik as a, as a character. Uh, you have Mirma, deceit, as a character. And uh, I don't know some things, Shochad, as a character. And not only that, but listen to this he's got stage instructions. Listen closely. Gavura is, is a character in the play. Um, so that when Shimshu wants to fight the Philistines, he'll say, hey Gvura, come here and help me. You know what I mean? Uh, or when Delilah wants to attempt him, she'll say, hey Cheshik, come here and help me. You won't believe this. Cheshik is no other than Cupid. You think I'm kidding? Cheshik is Nahar, Rove Kashos. It's a it's a child uh with an arrow and with wings, as as Cupid. I am serious. Devura is the goddess Athenia. Tadama Isha Levusha Siryong Kaskasin. Imagine a woman wearing armor of chainmail, Vakova Barosho, and that Greek helmet on her head, Beamina Chado, and her right hand is is a sharp sword, Bismola, Lapin Borim, and lightnings. That's Athenia. The Greek, the Greek goddess. These are people supposed to appear in the play. Imagine if in a Beis Yaka play, they're going to say, oh, we're going to put on together the Maishah Simpson from Moshe Khan, the famous Ram Chalb, and somebody's going to be Cupid, okay, and shoot an arrow, and captivate Samson, she should fall in love with the Lord. I mean, give me a break, right? Or you have Mirmo, which is deceit, right? And uh, how is deceit supposed to be uh, uh, over here? It's a beautiful maiden with a cup of honey in one hand and a serpent in the other it's nariofa memish b'shok wearing gold b'yoda acha coast malaya nefer novus tufim and in one hand a cup of honey b'yoda haris sarof mofef a poison you see shoghat what is how does shok appear each hundred belusha will the meil murukom sob hashab fu ever and uh, a <laughs> uh, bribery okay is a uh, what do you call it called is is blind because hashochiya that's a jewish word hashochiya b'necha kham you know and then, on the other hand, uh, he's dressed in this uh, funny way. Wide open mouth, and crooked scales on the other side. Okay, this is most unusual. And then it goes to the whole story of Shemshon, of course, in this beautiful Hebrew. That's what makes him the father of modern Hebrew, because he has this uh, way. I'm not going to give you the technical side of this, of all the story of Shemshon. First, with the Tim, the woman, and then, and uh, as they say. Cupid shows up and the Shochat shows up because you know Delilah at first, according to this. By the way, you know, in uh, there are a lot of like if you read Samson's Struggle, you know, which they put the, like the from version makes of the Shimshin story because after all, Shimshon was a Shofate and a Nazar, how could he do all these things? That's all the question from the Yeshiva perspective. And we have Rabbi um, Weiss, Christian Weiss, as they wrote uh, Samson's Struggle based on Abdesher and all the other, there's a lot of raid on this, you know and they basically put the idea that Shimson do anything wrong and the you know uh it was all part of a plan. So They got plausible deniability vis-a-vis the Philistines. There's a whole lump on it. And uh, you can get it, you know, it's around. And they've even extended it now to the Pelagius figure of then to Paul Meek. It's very interesting. But uh in in the Ramchal story, uh Shemshin just falls for the tender woman. You know, boom. He says, you know, she's beautiful in my eyes and uh I fell for her and later on she there's little changes in the story. As I understand that Shimson never married the Timna woman, never got around to it. He came for the bachelor party, and in the bachelor party, everything went bad with the riddle. And then at the end, by the time it's over, she got killed by the other Philistines, and he declared war on them. In other words, they never, the really married. That's the one the Rambam says was um, he converted. But Delilah, so, so I remember in the Samson struggle, they want to say she's Jewish. But Shemshin, in the Rambam cause she, she's a guy. Right? In the plain, post that story. Uh, she's a guy. All, all kind of unusual things. Let me put it this way. If you want a different spin, nothing radical. There's nothing trafe in here. And not only that, it's very much the style of the Ramchal that whenever you get to anything, that's even the slightest X-rated, G-rated, V-G-rated, whatever you call it. It's you know, no, nothing improper. Zero. He talks about love. He talks about a guy falling for a girl. A great length he talks about love and and, uh, romance and all the rest of it, but nothing dirty or cheap in the The same. Now that's a question of time and place. And B'nai B'rach they'd probably be shocked. I have um, a nephew in Israel whose father-in-law I met maybe once when my nephew got married. Now this nephew is our Russian sheep in Israel. And uh, to make a long story short, Follow in was a real firm guy. I think he's a B.T. And when I say B.T., he converted from Bnei Akiva to Haredi. I mean, not, not, not Baal Shua. And uh, I said, what do you do for a living? He sells books. What books does he sell? He sells uh, censored Marcus Lehman stories. Okay? You know, The Count of Kusi, uh, Yosem and Rosheim, etc. In Iverit. In uh, that's children's stories, with Nikudos. And I said, what do you, what, how do you censor him? a Marcus Lehman story. Well, you know, because Marcus Lehman was a from guy. He was a big, Orthodox rabbis in Germany. Yeah, but what was considered, so to speak, a healthy and clean romance in the 19th century is already trafed by Haredi seniors in Israel today. So, you know, if you read The Count of Kusi by Marcus Lehman, you'll see that, you know, the hero, who was later one of the Balitosis, I mean, it's a made-up story. You know, he was engaged to a girl. They were in love with each other. She waited for him, if I remember. I haven't read this in many years in the end, it's a happy ending, you know, they're united after pirates and all this kind of stuff and and she stayed uh, uh, true to her uh, uh, faithful to her true love and saved did he, there's nothing wrong with what I just said, right? But the very fact you bring up romance itself is considered, as you know uh, usher, but uh, not to the rum call, okay uh, it's just interesting uh, and uh, I remember when it comes to Shemshin and Gaza, he just skips over that business doesn't just, skips it you yes, understand? Uh, and just the whole mise of, of Shimshon there's a lot of interesting things over there uh, but it's not let me put it this way Rav Shach is not writing a play about Shimshon no, not, not seriously and neither is uh you know the typical godo uh, and that's what i mean when i say that Ramchal is not the typical godo he became a, a gedol Gedolim especially in the area of Kabal you know in in Kedusha but he still has the stuff he learned from the other rabbinis uh, you know, Interest this. A few years later. Now, by the way, this is written for a, a wedding, I think. And he wrote two other plays for weddings. That was a, apparently a fashion in Italy at that time. There's uh, a technical term for it, Epismalia But uh, he wrote another one, which I don't know well. The third one I know fairly well. And the Ma'ase Shemshan I know fairly well. The middle one is is um, Migalos, right? Which uh, again, you can go online and see this, and it's long business. And the Migdalos is uh, like a knockoff of an Italian pastoral uh, uh, drama. But it's very from and very Jewish. But it's strange. Uh, Here, again, he says he's copying from the Medrash HaKadosh HaKadosh, which means it's a story in the Zohar, where the girl, here, let me find English. He has a long description of it in Hebrew, but I think it'll bore you. Uh, The Torah is compared to a beautiful maiden, dwelling in a high tower with a secret entrance. She reveals herself to her lover who discovers the entrance only after much trial and labor. Well, that's a simple marshal. You know, in other words, I could even say that about Baba Kama, right? They say, you know, uh, Baba Kama reveal itself to its uh, true lover only after a lot of Yigiyah and Harvania. That's easy. But the parable serves as a foundation for a much wider and complicated plot. So, And he gives it basically in Hebrew, but it's complex Hebrew. So I'll just read it to you in English, to give you an idea of the kind of uh, uh, screenwriter he is, I guess. Once upon a time there lived a king named Rom, who built a strong and mighty tower and planted a beautiful garden on its roof, but concealed its entrance. He then proclaimed throughout the kingdom that whoever could enter the tower and ascend the roof would be given his daughter Shlomis, a beautiful maiden in marriage. One day, Prince Shalom the son of the king of Ananim, known another guy, happened to pass by the tower. After much toil, he discovered the entrance to a door, to be a door, which was plastered over with clay. He ascended to the garden, but not knowing the king's decree, knows that he gets a married girl, he left the tower as he had entered it. Soon, another man by the name of Zepho passed the tower, and seeing the open door, which the first guy had opened, entered it and climbed to the roof, taking with him the fruit of the garden, as evidence of his discovery of the entrance, and he rushed to the king to claim the reward. The, cling, the king rejoiced at the news and proclaimed the betrothal of Shlomis to Zipho. Sholem, though, had seen Shlomus and had fallen in love with, with her, which love she returns. So notice, the people who rose to be together, Sholom and Shlomus, you can't even tell by the name, they're already in love. So she want to marry this guy. But Odo, a friend of Shlomus, also loves Sholem. This is starting to sound like pain place or something, right? Ada, a friend of Shlomis, also loves Shlom, and she concocts a plot to kill Shlomis. She sends Batsua, the servant of Shlomis, with a present to Zifa from her mistress, containing poisoned fruit. At the same time, she informs Zifa through her servant Mirma. See, he's got those things again. Mirma's is a character of the contents of the present. Zifa then tells the king of Shlomis's treachery. An investigation is made and it is discovered that Shlomis had met Sholem on a certain day in a hidden place. It is concluded that she had a lover and that according to ancient law she is going to be burned at the stake. Like you know Tamar in the in, in, in the Pasha there. Sholem, learning of the fate of his beloved, rushes to the king to offer to be burned in her stead. The king accepts this offer in spite of the protestations of Shlomis that Sholem is innocent. And preparations are made for the execution. Inadvertently, Sholem drops a word about his discovery of the entrance to the tower. The king is surprised and confused. At that moment, the words of Sholem are corroborated by the interpretation of a dream of the king offered by one of his counsellors, Haman, and as a result, Sholom is freed. Zepha confesses his guilt, but is pardoned through the intervention of Shlomus. Sholem then marries Shlomus, happy ending. And after the death of Ram, becomes the king and rules the kingdom uh, with great wisdom and many years. And it's a lot more complicated than that, but that's the summary of it. And uh, I'll tell you again, who writes this kind of stuff? It's a screenplay, you see? Matter of fact, I always wondered, how come in Israel nobody ever... I mean, I'm serious, I'm not being funny. And Nobody ever did the plays of the Ramchal, because they just have a value of their own. Now, there is an Italian version, it's a Gaisha version. But it's much more uh, R rated, X rated than this. As you would imagine with an Italian thing, there's nothing uh, unworthy in the play. You get it? There's romance, there's love, there's the longing, you know, the, for the boy for the girl and all the rest of that. But it's not, which is unusual in the front play, <laughs> to say the least. But but I remind you, these are wedding plays, so it was Tugas for the occasion. Uh, but there's nothing uh, in the slightest like you say, you know, like an American movie or something like that. And then, uh, a number of years later, after he, the McCall, later in his life, moved to uh, Amsterdam, he wrote a third one of these, which is the one which I, I know the best. Now, I've actually um, spoken about it when, when I go to Scotland Residence sometimes, and which was recently um, published again by the, uh, by fellheim believe it or not. Uh, though I was surprised to see it, and uh, you, you can get it. You know, it's a uh, called La to okay, La to Tahila, and here it's a uh, better written. I mean, they're all brilliant, you know. But I, well, I'm not going to take the time to explain to you why this ivrit form is better than the other one. This is not the format for that. But um, let me uh, the, the here he has a paschegan and Here he has a summary, but. It is short enough to be read in Hebrew. And it's really Gavaldic in my opinion. And here it's much more didactic, okay? And it's, uh, you know, th- there is the love factor, all the rest of it, but it's much more didactic. And I'll read you, uh, you know, what's happening over here. And it's, and it's really great, okay? Uh, and again, I mentioned, this kind of literary imagination, we don't see this with the Graal. you don't see it with the Bach Shantav either, you don't see it... But the Rajwa and the Rambam and all that kind of stuff, they would say, what do you waste your time with this? You know, why don't you compose a Sefer on Kachim, on Tirus, on Babakama, on and uh, Nido? that's what we need, you know, on Hilchah Shabbos, uh, which you and I know, a genius like the Ramachal could do it easily. He never wrote on that. Right? He never wrote a Halacha. He never wrote a Gemara. He wrote a book about how to learn Gemara, but he never learned on, on, on Kedushim and things like that. And with a genius mind like his, it's funny. Why are you writing a place? That's I told you. You can't box them in. No, you can't box them in. So listen to this. This a Mushel what the play is all about. And if you're interested, this one is around now. You can buy it even from the, um, from online, from the, uh, from, uh, Solheim, you know. Um, now, many, many moons ago, when I was in Israel, I mean, decades ago, they used to have this book sale. <laughs> once a year, you know, book week or something like that. It was in the Iriah. I don't know if they still do that. And I remember when I went there, they have these things from Mose Bialik, these little, uh, uh, what shall I call it, uh, paperback books. And I bought like 50 of them, because they're all like a penny a piece. And all, uh, among them were the three famous plays of the Ramchal, three separate little books, Migdalos, Sharmtel, and Naisa nice Uh But the other one's not. Now, uh, listen to this. Le Emes Yulad B'Ein. One of the characters, his name is Emes. Emes gets has a son, Bayomer Hamon LeMor. And Emmis one day said to Hamon, the Hamunam, the Olim Golem, the masses are asses." Bayomer Im Let's make a shidduch. Our kids are very young; they're mom's babies. Let's make a shidduch as used to be the fashion once upon a time, between my son and your daughter. So I'm Ms. right? And I have a son. And you're and you're a Hamon. And you have a daughter. Okay? Uh, and it'll be a good Shidduch. Hamon Shneim. So they wrote a up, you know, an engagement. B'reisah hi, yolda taiva, shifchas Emes, gamhibayin. But it turns out that Emes has a shifcha, a maidservant, named Taiva. Isn't that fascinating? Emes, truth, has a maid No, there was someone who serves Ms. and her name is Taiva, and she had a baby also, and they're going to the switcheroo. And so there were two babies in the house. There were the babies of the master, and the baby of the servant. They're both little boys, born at the same time. Ms. has a son, and Taiva has, uh, has a son. And there was an invasion of pirates and stuff like that, and they sacked the city. As, he, uh, as used to be common. Remember, the Mount Khal lived in Venice, and Venice was in perpetual war for centuries against the Turks, and raids and 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 and, and the, what do you call conquest? Yom of You let me let me just adjust this for a second. Okay, now fix it. Let me um, move on. So you have MS who has a child, and you have Taiva, who has a child. You know what that means. And uh, the city is attacked, let's say, for example, by foreigners, like, let's say, Turks, by vozo vozoir, and the city is sacked. And it was often the case in those days that the people of the city are carried off as prisoners of wars as slaves. Very common in the 1670s, in the Venetian-Turkish Wars. Emes and when Emes saw that his son was a captive and gone, lemish he went to the court, and he had it registered by Maila. he had it notarized and registered in front of the court the following: Beni Avdi ashodim. I want to make it clear that two little children were taken by the pirates. One was my son, and one was my Eved. because it's, a, it's the son of my Shifchot. this is my evid. Laman, in order to make sure that nobody doesn't switch a route, and that the Shivcha son should claim to be my son, in order to prevent that, Hinni Mefarish Simanu. I'm giving simonim in a body, uh, you know, simonim in the body. You know, it's a scar here, it's a scratch there, whatever. By and he had it entered into court records. By Yomus S, and then Emes died. By time passed by. Uben Taiva, this. Uh, servant's son, the son of the ship named Taiva, Lukach Beisah, Dimion. (laughs) Taiva was taken to the house of Dimion. Dimion is like imagination. You know know what this all means, right? Dimion. And Vayomer Tarmis Rahav. So all these characters are now being introduced. So Tarmis, which is trickery, says to Rahav, which is like an advanced form of lust, I'll tell you what, I will go and uh, shoot the bull with the people over here. I'll persuade the public. I'll persuade He Ben Dimion. Do you know something? In the house of Dimion is a, is a child, a young man, and he is really the Ben Emes. Now, you and I know that he's not the Ben Emes, he's the Ben Taiba. It's the Switcheroo. We all know that Hamon is easily. Uh, Nifta from Ones you know, easily persuaded. And Hamon will then give his beautiful daughter, Hamon will give, the. You know, who is the beautiful daughter of Hamon? The answer is Tehilo, praise, right? Tehila, she's the beautiful daughter of the Hamon. And therefore will accomplish a successful switcheroo. So therefore deceit went for So each one of these hypostase their characters in the play. So the character of Tarmus goes to Hamon and says, no adoni nimsa ben Emes." I'm happy to announce to you that the long lost son of Emish, who no one has ever seen, has been found. He nehu Dimion, and the son of Emish is now in the in, living in the house of Dimion, which is imagination. No, it's not really. Hamon and Hamon, who is stupid, we just said the veldt is always stupid, the Ilam is a Gylob. He took this young man named Rahav, extreme lust, from base Damion, who he imagines is the son of Ames, I want to give you my daughter Tehila, the beautiful daughter of Hamon, which I promised your father Ames long ago to make the sheroch. Go marry her. At the same time, Yosher Ames, the real son of Hermes, who nobody could recognize. The real son of Hermes is Yosher. Okay? This is Baldic. The island cannot understand the real MS. The real son of MS was walking around, nobody could tell him. And he was tall, dark, and handsome. As befits as Yashus. And the girl saw Yosher ben MS, and she naturally was drawn to him by believe, but She fell in love with him. Just a natural... But she was an obedient daughter, and her father Hamon made sure that she's going to marry Rahav, the the the, the false one. As when the time came, Rahav said, "Hamon, time for the b'chasana." They made a big wedding banquet to take place before the uh, the, the wedding takes place. I repeat. This should take place before the Chubba Kaddishan. But him B'Shoshim, as <laughs> they were, what we call the Shmorgasbord. While they were eating and drinking, in rash gadol, all of a sudden was <laughs> an earthquake. And by the way, I myself was in Venice a couple of years ago, during an earthquake. gadol <laughs> of and it was a big wind and so forth, so it was unnatural. <laughs> Don't place, the, you know, buildings start crashing Something unusual was happening. And everybody got scared, and they said, What's happening? And this jarred the memory of one of the zakenim, And he said, Listen to me, my brothers. This hurricane and earthquake is a sign of divine anger. I have to say, now I remember that once upon a time, this city suffered God's wrath. We were attacked by the gun by the Turks and uh, sacked. And now I remember, long ago, that our friend Emes, who is no longer alive, <laughs> interesting, Emes is no longer alive, uh, had two babies in the house. One was his own, and one was Ben Almoso. And the children grew up and got mixed up. And I recall now. I remember that he took the trouble to have his real son's birthmarks registered in the court, so you know who's who. It shouldn't be a switcheroo. Let's go to the court records, and they did. And let's see. Let it be found. and Ben maybe we're maybe we're falling for switcheroo, and maybe Rahav whose extreme lust is not really the son of EmS, Velo lo Tino Saint and therefore you shouldn't get Tehila the girl. Ki Lavan Emistiya, Tehila should go to Ben emmis to the real one. So they looked up the court records and they examined the body of Rahav. In other words, once you examine I mean I think the mushal speaks for itself. It speaks for itself. They found that, that Rahav did not have the birth marks. So once he was examined, you know, closely, they could tell he's not Ben-Emmes, and they kicked him out. At that point, one of the characters named Seichel, who is the friend of Yosher, isn't that wonderful? Seichel comes and says, Thank God, I know who ben Emmis is. He's been here all the time, I'll present him to you. Fellow Tia Tilisha, and he should get the girl. Fa Yovi left name is Yosher, Vayamidil's name Mishpat. They brought Yosher into the room, and they placed him by Mishpat, Vahimsubosimana Bayakiru, and when they closely examined his body, they had the birthmarks. Dos is the recharge MS, I should your adat alabitko, who is the one who we made a shit long ago for your daughter, a love titneno. Give her him. So the two characters who are naturally in love with each other, who are naturally drawn to each other, who belong together, namely Yosher and Tehillah, right? They finally got together. Yosher is Tehillah. They all happily live after. ever after. Now, the, the didactic nature that speaks for itself, doesn't it? It's wonderful. Uh, is this a pain and play? No, it's not a pain play it's bringing out what life is real now. He wrote this later in life after he went through a lot of junk and he suffered a lot. There's, maybe I'll talk about it on some other occasion. Maybe not. But, uh, you know, this is not what he wrote when he was 17 or 18 years old like the other place. Uh, and uh, you see he's more cynical. The the Hamon doesn't know the real EmS, correct? Rahab is always uh, easy to pass him off. Only when you make Grisha Vakira do you understand who the EmS is. That's what you show to the sharm um, too. Isn't that right? If you don't make a Drisha ha-kir, you're not going to know who the Emes is. Or, what, or you won't know what the Emes is. There in those books he calls it Zahiris, Zerizas, all those kind of names. But it all comes out to the same thing, which is you don't just go and follow the first thing that comes across you. You have to use your brain, you have to think. You have to make a Seichel, yasher, As he calls him, you have to take a mishkal Chasidus. And then do you, do you uh, um, find you know, the, the real truth. Now, look at this. I think I've gone for an hour. At least. Maybe more for all I know. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and I only scratch the surface. That's why I said I only want to talk about If so I keep going, we've got another three hours at least in all this. And I'm not going to do that. So i have given you one side, one aspect, of 20 or 30 different sides of Ramchal. Uh, how they fit together, I don't think it's impossible. To, 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 I don't know for sure. You know, there are theories about it. But we don't have... As far as I can think, Gedolim of this type. You know see uh, As we'll see later, he's considered among the greatest of the greys. He is not a Rosh shiva. He never tried to be a rabbi, although he could have been. He's a genius. He could have been a rov. He married the daughter of a rov, as we'll see, perhaps in the future. Uh, you know, if he'd have gone that route, he could have written a safer on this and that and the other. That's not what he was into. Right? It's, not, it's, not, it's not what attracted him. Uh, which is most unusual. Now, if he hadn't written them Seel C. Sharm, then we would hear him. there would be only people like me, only historians. familiar with this, or maybe a Kabul experts or something like that. We put him on the front page. And always will. But, uh, anyway, this is what to talk about. I'll leave it alone for now. Once again, I want to thank our sponsors. And remind everybody, I'm happy to remind everybody that they have this, um, uh, auction next week, on December 8th. Uh, and, if I had the money, I would play in that league also. But I do thank you. Uh, I do thank them. And uh, remember, the name is Gnazim, G-N-A-Z-Y-M. With that, I always wish you a good week. And now I've got to get down to the rest of my busy schedule. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at ww.dot